0: Open your Bibles this evening, please, to the book of Second Kings, chapter number 4. 2 Kings, chapter number 4. I hope that you will really tune in this evening. I I don't suspect that you would not, but uh, I want to encourage you to listen carefully. We live in tough times. A lot of folks are very, very fearful regarding uh, our economy today and uh, a number of other things. And in addition to the situation our nation is in, that a lot of folks just going through plain ordinary problems that, well, confront people all of the time. And that was one reason that I decided that I wanted to preach through this series on the Lord God of Elijah. So this is not a study of the life of Elijah nor the life of Elisha, but rather a study about the God whom both of those prophets served. And certainly it's my prayer that in this that we will just be reminded that our God is able, that He is sufficient to supply our needs. Now, this particular story has a really special place in my heart and for a good reason. I I think back to that time when I surrendered my life to preach the gospel and the commitment that I made at that time. And I've got to tell you, it was with fear and trembling and yet with a, with a very determined resolve on my part that God being my helper, I was not going to get sidetracked by doing other things. Uh, there was a time naturally that I Uh, It was bivocational. I had to work at a secular job to support my family. And at the same time, I was uh, pastoring a church. In fact, uh, we just started a church, and that made it all the more difficult. And uh, it it was a a deep concern of mine is, how is God going to take care of my family? You see, it wasn't just me. I mean, if it had just been me, man, I can live on spam and... uh, Stuff like that. Now, I can get by like that, but it, it didn't involve just me. And uh, whenever, whenever you know that others are depending on you, it's a whole different ballgame then. And uh, you dads know exactly what I mean. You want to take care of your family. And not only that, I realized that as a, as a pastor that uh, if, if something was to happen to me, I didn't have a lot of benefits that other people did. I didn't make enough money to, uh, to have any savings I, for a long, long time. had no life insurance of any kind. And, uh, and you say, well, and, I, and I've had people, you know, back then tell me, well, what if you die? What's your family going to do? How are they going to bury you? And my only answer was, I don't know. I don't know. I had a dear preacher friend of mine that encouraged me again and again and again he said, "Look, he said, "You need to prepare for the future and you need to make some investments like I have, buy some old houses and fix them up and rent them out or sell them or whatever And, uh, and, and it worked for him, but I said, Look, I, I don't have time to do that. God called me to preach, and I don't have time to do that. I, I can't tell you the number of times that I've had people come to me and say, look, what you need to do is supplement your income by selling insurance. And my answer was always the same. God called me to preach. I don't have time to sell insurance. That's not what God called me to do. And this particular message, down through the years, has been a a rock that I lean upon it has been something that God has used to assure me that He is able to supply my needs and the needs of my family. And I can remember more than 30 years ago now, uh, whenever I'd preached a message from this, and Bev said to me later, she says, that, that's, that's my favorite sermon, said, that just, and, and I knew what she meant. Because she had the same fears that I did. What's going to happen, you know, if something happens to me? Well, listen, nothing's going to happen to God. That's what I want you to remember. Nothing's going to happen to God. He is a OK. never been sick a day in his life, and he's going to be around when the world's on fire. Amen? Now, let's begin our reading in verse 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant my husband is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me what hast thou in the house And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow the vessels abroad of all of thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and thou shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her. And she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her sons, Bring me yet a vessel. And and he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. And then she came and told the man of God. And he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt. And live thou and thy children of the rest. God is able to supply your needs, the needs of your family. And there is a lesson here for us giving us that assurance. Now look at verse number one, because in verse one we see an emergency, an emergency. And I want you to analyze this emergency. There are three things about it. There is death. Her husband died. That represents those things that we cannot change. Things often happen in our life that we cannot do anything about. I mean, we just simply have to pick up the pieces and go on because there's nothing, humanly speaking, that we can do. Death. Things we cannot change. But notice there's also debt. There are obligations that we can't meet. And that's the situation this woman finds herself in. Her and her sons, they have incurred a debt and they can't pay the debt. And they're wondering what they're going to do. So there's debt, there's debt, and there's desperation. Because she doesn't know what she's going to do. She doesn't have a clue. I mean, what do you do? When you can't do anything. I mean, here is a mother that needs to take care of her children, and she has no means of support. She's in a horrible situation. I mean, this constitutes an emergency. But not only do I want you just to analyze it, I want you to notice that this emergency is announced. And by that, I mean that she made it known. And she made it known in the right way to the right person. Verse number 1, notice that she announced it fervently. It says here that she cried. There cried a certain woman. I mean, she is not just imparting information. She's pouring out her soul. We talked about tears this morning We talked about this business of crying, and here she is putting her very soul into this announcement. She cried. That means she was fervent about it. But notice, also, she was very frank about it. And we've got to be honest about our problem. She didn't beat around the bush. I mean, she was just frank about it. Here's the situation. You know, a lot of people don't want to admit what the problem is. A lot of people live in denial. And they've got this crazy idea that if I just deny it long enough, you know, it'll get better. (laughs) I know what my wife is thinking, and I'm I'm going to try not to go there. Well, (laughs) why don't you go to the doctor? It's going to get better. I'm living in denial. That's what it is in that regard. But listen, that's what we do so many times. We just—I said this morning in the message—we're all going to die. Yeah, maybe you're hearing you say, "Well, I don't want to think about that," and people do everything they can to just blot that out of their mind. But that's the reality of it. And she was very frank about it. And notice it was announced fully. She didn't hold back anything. I mean, she just poured it all out. She didn't say, "I'm okay, you're okay, everything's going to be all right." She said, "I'm in debt." I mean, everything I had is gone. I'm in debt. We're hungry. We don't know how we're going to pay our bills. And, and notice she says they're about to come and take my sons and make them bondmen, servants. I mean, listen, they're going to, they're going to be sold into slavery as it were. So here is a woman facing something that she cannot change with an obligation that she cannot meet and questions that she cannot answer. But she goes to Elisha and she just lays it all out on the table. And so we see the emergency analyzed and announced, but we need to also apply this to our situations because all of us encounter problems, although a bit different than her problem. We all have problems that fit into that same category, right? Right? Things we can't change, obligations we can't meet, questions we can't answer. You've been there, done that, right? So this is where she's at. Now, notice in verse number 2, the examination. The examination. Notice what happens. The, The questions. There are two questions here. Elisha says, what shall I do for thee? And in making that statement, I mean, you say, well, it ought to be obvious she's broke. She can't pay her bills. What do you mean? She needs somebody to bankroll her. She needs somebody to help her out of debt. But notice that he is asking this question knowing full well what the problem is. And he does so because he wants her to be definite and he wants her to be detailed. So far, all she has done is relate the problem. She hasn't made a request so far. She just said, here's the problem. She's not asked for anything yet. And he is warning her and drawing her out to get detailed and definite about the emergency that she's in. So that's the first question. What shall I do for thee? The second question is, he says, what hast thou? Now remember, her mind is upon what she does not have. And, and notice how she answered that. She said, I don't, I don't have anything. Now, here he's trying to get her to change her perspective. She's thinking just about what she doesn't have, and and he's trying to get her to take inventory and to consider her resources to think about what is available. That's the whole point here. That she needs to look at it from the standpoint that, that she does have something, something that she has evidently forgotten about. Now, notice the answer here to the question. Verse number 2, here's the answer. She says, not anything. Not anything. And all of a sudden, maybe there's something that just clicked in her mind. Wait a minute. There is that pot of oil. You see, evidently she had lost everything except this. Just the pot of oil. That's all. Now, you know, I don't know how literal to get about that. Does that that mean she didn't have a stick of furniture? Does that mean she didn't have any, any bedding? I mean, I don't know. But she said, I don't have anything. I don't have anything that I can use to satisfy my debt but this pot of oil. So let's think then not about what she doesn't have, let's think about what she does have. First of all, I want you to understand that this is a significant object. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean it's significant. Uh, She she said, "All all I've got this pot of oil, Like this isn't really anything, but it was something. That word translated pot is a Hebrew word that speaks about an oil flask. It's not talking about a great big pot of oil or even a three-pound can of Crisco. She's talking about a flask. Remember, her husband, she said, had been his servant, one of the sons of the prophets. In other words, her husband had been in the ministry. Her husband was a man of God. And this flask of oil had been his it might be that she had, you know, kept that as a keepsake. I mean, this, this is all she's got left of him. And she, she looks at that and it's a reminder of the life that they had together. So it's a significant object, but it's a sacred object in the sense that that flask contained oil. And oil in the Bible is used as a type of the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament prophets, you will remember that they used oil in anointing of of whether it was kings or the anointing of sick people or whatever. They used the oil for those religious, sacred purposes. You know, I, I, I've got a drawer there in my office, and I, I don't know how many, how many old Bibles I've got, but several old Bibles down there that I've used over the years. Uh, some of them, the pages are just about out from me beating on them and things like that. But, but uh, I, I feel certain that when I'm dead and gone, some of the kids are going to say, well, I want one of those Bibles there. And, and hopefully it will mean something to them that Daddy used this Bible to to preach. And, and no doubt this woman was thinking about this flask of oil and remembered the times that he had been out there ministering. He had been away from the family and they looked at that and it served as a reminder. But, it's not just significant and sacred, it is a slighted object. And by that, I mean at this point, she sees nothing special about it as it relates to her needs. It was special in the sense that it was a keepsake. Nothing special about it as it related to her particular need, but it became a saving Object In the sense that God used this very object to help her to receive all that she needed. And here we see God using something that was so seemingly very insignificant to supply her needs. This morning I quoted Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20, where it talks about the fact that God is able to do exceeding, abundant, above all that we could ever ask or think. Now that's just in part. And in the very, at the very end of it, he said, according to the power that works in us. That is, Christ is living in us. The Spirit of God resides in us. I mean, do we... Listen, we look at ourselves. We look at these vessels that we have and we think how weak and how insignificant and how worthless and how that we cannot possibly do anything to meet our needs. But we forget about... The fact that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, that He resides in us. Listen, that changes everything. And we need to stop thinking about what we can't do and start thinking about what God can do. Because the same Spirit that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead lives within every born-again believer. That excites me. That tells me that my God is able to do whatever needs to be done in my life. So here this woman is in that situation, in this emergency, and Elisha examines her and forces her to examine her situation, and he leads her so as to change her perspective from what she does not have to think about what she does have we all need to do that, folks. So many times we start feeling sorry about our, for ourselves because, you know, we don't have this and we don't have that. But think about what you do have. I mean, the very poorest people among us in comparison to the rest of the world, they are rich, rich. Think about all of the little children, thousands every day that literally starve to death. Think about the vast multitudes that search through the garbage dumps just for a morsel of bread or some kind of food that's been discarded. And listen, that's every day. You and I, you know, we kind of plan our days and think about what we would enjoy doing or even our responsibilities. And we think about, you know... Uh, we've got to do this tomorrow, brother Ron and I are supposed to meet in the morning at eight thirty, and we got some business we're going to discuss. Some things to do, we've got that planned out, and uh, if the weatherman cooperates, we've even got a, a an early morning fishing trip planned for Wednesday morning. And uh, uh, hey, we deserve it. Only been I've only been one day in the last uh, be a year in in July, so I need a day off once in a while. That's all right. Listen, here's what I'm trying to tell you, folks, and I'm just as prone to do it as, as, as you are. We are so tempted to get bent out of shape and complain about what we don't have and things not going our way. When we are able to plan those things and do those things, I don't have to wake up in the morning and worry about, am I going to be able to eat today? Stop thinking about what you don't have, focus on what you do have, and remember that God can take what you do have to supply what you, what you need. That's what we see here. Now, notice the exhortation here in verses 3, 4, and 5. Here's the exhortation. The man of God said, verse 3, go borrow the vessels abroad of all of thy neighbors. And I think it's important to emphasize that word all. All thy neighbors, empty vessels, and notice this, and I've underlined it in my Bible, borrow not a few. Now, notice the requirements here. There are three requirements. First of all, there is the provision of room. Go borrow vessels. You need something to put this oil in. Now, you've got to be thinking, as she was, what are you talking about? This is all the oil I've got. Why in the world do I need empty vessels? He's telling her that you need to provide room for what I'm getting ready to do. Boy, I'll tell you, serving God is so exciting I just day and night I cannot get my mind off of where we're headed, and if we don't get in the way, what God is about to do. I I'm excited about that, folks. And I've stated over and over. One of the first things, well, I you know I've got my first things list. Uh, There was the grand piano, and uh, somebody already said, "Look, that God's going to take care of that." And so, and then there was the matter of the sign. And uh, Brother Mike's got a sign man as his neighbor. But uh, but anyway, again and again, I said, look, what we're going to do, we're going to get a plot plan. I mean right off the bat. We're going to get an architect. We're going to get a big plot plan. We're going to have a great big drawing. We're going to put it up there, phase one, phase two, phase three. We're going to know where we're going before we get there so we don't end up in Confusion. Now, we don't have to do it that way. We can just go brain dead and move into the building and not pay any attention to the future and just sit back and see what happens. But I believe God expects us to, to use wisdom and to plan. And so here is the provision of room. You're going to need more room. Secondly, there is the preclusion of all other activities and associates. The preclusion of activities and associates. Look at verse 4. And when thou art come in, you borrow the vessels. Now, when you come in, when you get back, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons. Shut the door. Get alone. And, folks, we've got to learn to shut the door upon the world and to... And to get alone with God, that's important for all of us. There are some things that the world is just not meant to see. There are some experiences that God wants you to have that He doesn't want everybody to know about. That's exactly the reason why I don't believe what some of these preachers say about different things that I won't go into Because they want to get up and brag about, you know, how great they are. And that tells me God didn't have anything at all to do with it. It's amazing to me that here God will bless people and and all of a sudden the next thing you know, here you've got some preacher that's proud as a peacock because his church has prospered and it's growing above and beyond other churches, and the first thing he does is want to write a book about how to grow a church and go on the lecture circuit telling everybody how to do it. And I know because I've read those books. I, I know. And I'm not saying you can't learn anything from, from other people. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, listen, that we need to let God do what He wants to do. We've got to spend time alone with Him. So He says, just shut everybody else out. This is between you, the boys, and God. So there is the provision of room, the preclusion of other activities and associates. And then notice there's the pouring out of the oil. You know, they could have got in that room with all of the empty pots and they could have just sat there and said, yeah, sure be nice if those pots were full. One of the boys might have said, well, Mom, what you need to do is just pour that oil out of Daddy's flask into those pots. Well, son, that's not a scientific method. What good would that do? You've got the same number of ounces in a great big pot as you've got in this little bitty flask. That doesn't make any sense. In fact, that might make it worse. It might get contaminated in some way and become totally useless. So what good is that? You've got to admit, I mean, this really seems like a foolish idea. Of course, Joshua could tell you about foolish ideas, could he not? (laughs) I mean, you'll remember here they are, and we keep talking about the Battle of Jericho. I mean, listen, you know, we wrote a song, Joshua hit the Battle of Jericho. Well, he didn't do any fighting. I mean, God took care of business there. All he did was obey God. And here this woman is in that room, just her and the boys and those empty pots, and now comes the time for her to take that vessel, that flask of oil, and to pour it out. You see, folks, we get by giving, not hoarding. We think about we think about the seed, and you can if, if a farmer keeps all of the seed corn, he'll never have a crop. He's got to take the seed corn, put it out there in the field where it's going to rot and die. That's an act of faith. Somebody said, Well, we just got so much corn, we better eat it. No, no. Wisdom says you better plant it. You better lose it. You better let it die. Turn in your Bibles for just a moment to Second Corinthians chapter number nine, and here we find a section that has blessed my heart again and again over the years. Second Corinthians chapter number nine, and I want to begin reading in verse number six. And listen carefully. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. In other words, simple. You're going to reap what you sow. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, that is, not because he has to do it. For God loveth a cheerful giver." That word cheerful literally means hilarious. Uh, God loves us to give with hilarity. And God is able. There it is. God's able. I've been telling you that, and here Paul is reminding you, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work, as it is written, He He hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now listen carefully. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything, to all bountifulness bountifulness which causeth Through us, thanksgiving to God for the administration of this service. Listen, not only supplieth the want, that is, the needs of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Isn't that a marvelous section of Scripture? It's kind of like the old saying is that we can't outgive God. And and that's the whole point of it. And here we find this woman willing to use what she has according as God has directed and that's what she had to do to get what she needed. I think about those churches there in In Macedonia, and you'll remember as Paul commended them in in chapter number 8 of 2 Corinthians, there he mentions the fact that they gave above and beyond that which they were able. How do you give more than what you're able to give? The only way you can give more than what you're able to give is to give what you've got. When you give what you've got, God gives you more, and you end up giving what you were not able to give to start with. That's what happened there. That's what's happening here in this story. She takes what she has. She pours it all out. So here is the requirement. Provision of room, preclusion of activity, and associates in the pouring out of the oil. Now notice the response. And there are three things about her response to the requirement. First of all, she obeyed immediately. Let me tell you, delay is dangerous. If if we really mean it when we say God's will is best, then why in the world would we wait? I mean we'd all agree if I said let's vote tonight, how many of you really believe that God's will is always the best and everybody would vote for that, but we don't all live like we believe that. And so many times I've had people to say, Well, you know, I'm going to think about it, or I'm going to pray about it, or I'm going to or I'm going to wait. Now, I've talked to new converts about the fact that you've received Christ as your Savior. Now, you need to follow the Lord in baptism. That's your first step of obedience. And they'll say, well, I need to think about that. And listen to me. Maybe they do in the sense that they need some proper instruction before they're baptized. So, you know, there's some validity to that. But there are a lot of times we, knowing what God tells us to do, and we sit back and say, well, I need to pray about that. No, you don't need to pray about it. You don't need to think about it. You just need to do it. And so she obeyed immediately. She obeyed implicitly. By that, I mean she followed every detail. She didn't ask any questions about how reasonable or unreasonable this was. She didn't question his motive or his methods. She could have said, you're one of those preachers. You just want what i got. You want me to pour it out there so you can get it, or whatever, you know. You're just trying to, you know, get my money. But there's no suspicion on her part. She did exactly what she was told to do and did it immediately, and she did it inclusively. By that, I mean she did it all. She did everything as she was instructed to do. And a lot of times we really get ourselves in trouble when God tells us what to do, and we turn around and do part of it, and maybe maybe we even excel, as it were, in that particular area, and we think that we can justify the neglect of other responsibilities by excelling in these other areas. And it doesn't work that way, Folks. Partial obedience is total disobedience as far as God is concerned. She did exactly what he told her to do. Now notice the endowment here in verse 6. Here's the endowment. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There's not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. That is, it stopped. It wasn't any more. You see, God filled absolutely everything that was made available. And I've just got to wonder. I've just got to wonder here if maybe she didn't wish they had borrowed more vessels. Uh-huh. And Mom, this is all we've got. And she's probably thinking, oh, that we would have gone further and reached out more and gotten more vessels. We could have, we could have had e- even more. I, you know, I don't know what's going on in her head, but I do know this. God honored her faith. And she received, what she received was in the same proportion as her faith was. Remember, Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Here's a perfect example of that. Had she gone out and borrowed one vessel, she would have only received one vessel of oil. Had she borrowed two, she would have received two vessels. Ten? Ten vessels. And however many she borrowed, that's how many that God filled. God honors faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him, for He that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. That's what she's doing. Living by faith in Jesus above. Trusting, confiding in His great love. That's the way we need to be living by faith. Now notice here the encouragement. As we close, I want you to look at the encouragement in verse number seven. After the endowment, there's this encouragement. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Now notice the need, first of all, was critical. And notice he says, Go pay your debt. That's another way of saying that your immediate need has been met. I've taken care of that. Go pay your debt. But notice not only the fact that her need was critical, her need was constant, because notice what he says next. He tells her to go and to live of the rest. In other words, not only is her immediate need taken care of, but her future need is secure now. Why? Because she did what God told her to do. He meets her immediate need. He takes care of her future need. But not only was her need critical and constant, but it is collective. Get this. He tells her, notice that go, he says, and live of the rest. And he tells her the provision was, was for He says, for thou and thy children. In other words, others benefited from what she received. The children benefited from what mom did. They were the beneficiaries of her faith. Don't forget that, folks. Others are depending on what we do. And I'll tell you, for the rest of their life, those boys were indebted to their mother because their mother dared to obey God. If other people are not blessed by, by our life, then we have failed. Uh-huh. I, I love the story of Abraham where God said, Look, I'm going to bless you. And he did. But he didn't just stop there. He said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing to all of the other nations of the earth. In other words, Abraham was blessed to bless. And the same thing's true of you and I. None of us deserve what we have. Everything we have is a result of God's grace and He gives us to it. Why? That we might be a blessing to other people. I, I, I just got to think, in the years to come, those boys look back on that day. <laughs> Maybe they sat there and they... Do you remember that day? Do you remember when the preacher came to town? Do you remember mom telling him about the horrible situation that we were in. I mean, listen, buddy, we was almost sold into slavery. I mean, we just about lost everything. That old preacher knew what to do, and he told Mom what to do, and I'll never forget that day. That she went and send us out to all the neighbors and do you remember us going out and borrowing all of those vessels and here we come carrying those pots back and mom said, All right, boys, now let's go in the room and shut the door. Just me and just you boys and shut the door. And do you remember how Mom with her trembling hand took Daddy's old flask of oil? It's all she had. And she began to pour that oil out. And all just kept coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. And she filled one pot and then the other and then. I'm telling you what, as a result of that woman, those boys experienced something they absolutely would never forget. And it ought to be our prayer as parents that it would be that way with our children that when they think back to what mom and dad did and their devotion to the Lord, that they have those memories that our God is able to take care of us regardless of how bad it gets. He's able to do exceeding, abundant, above all that we could ever even ask or think. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Well, He was there with her that day. And I'm telling you, He's right here with you today, if we will obey. Let's bow our heads, Father. Forgive us of the times that we murmur and complain and whine about what we don't have. And tonight, Lord, would you remind us of what we do have. We are a people most blessed. I'm just amazed at what You've given us as a corporate body. as This church, I'm just amazed. I can't explain it, and I don't understand it. I just know that it's all because of Your grace. And Lord, then I think about my family, my friends, and all that You've blessed me with, and how thankful I am. Help me not to complain. And Lord, during those times that things get tough, and we know they will because we know that being great, being good, is not going to exempt us. We're going to have some rough spots in the road, some tough places in life. Would you remind us in those moments of this story that we've talked about tonight And may we remember and take courage in the fact that you're able to supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. As we stand tonight, I have no idea what God may be saying to you, what God wants in you.